talking about the fact we proclaim that Jesus is the hope of all people. We saw that in him, all the consequences of sin have been removed. There's no shame, there's no guilt. That in his death, he takes away, he brings forgiveness of the penalty of sin. That that there's no more condemnation that we fear because Jesus took away the punishment that we deserve. And in him, the righteous wrath of God. Uh, is satisfied. And in our passage this morning, we want to talk about the fact that Jesus gives us a new life. The good news of Jesus is that in Jesus, God gives us a new life. And I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And in reverence for the word of God, let us stand together. This is the word of God from Mark chapter 2. And he, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, uh, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. From this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is the hope of all people because God, in him, God gives new life. Now, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he really was a a revolutionary. I mean, he stood against the norms of the society of his time, against the norms that have been corrupted by pride and sin and selfishness. Back in Jesus' time, Israel had sort of a kind of a religious kind of caste system. And the Pharisees said, well, this is how life is. This is how people are categorized. And this is how people are supposed to be treated and how they're valued by God. And for the Pharisees and the scribes, it was fine for them because they were the ones who were making up the rules. But, but the thing was, is what about those who didn't fit in? What about those who uh, were not super religious like the Pharisees, that didn't have the authority-approved spiritual life, or they weren't perfect people with all the religious ties like the Pharisees. You know, what happened to them? What was their hope and their future? Would they simply be, you know, out of luck that, gee, I'm disqualified because of the choices that I've made, or even just because of, of the birth, my background? What about those who were constantly trying to live up to the ever-changing and increasing uh, religious expectations that were going on at that time? Uh, What about those who were trying so hard to to make sure that that everything they did, that they, they tried to do enough? What about those who were fearful to say, you know, what if I slip up? What if I make, what if I fail and, and there goes all my efforts? Why do they live in constant fear and, and doubt and worry to say, you know, have I really lived up to the expectations of God? This is, this is what it was like for, for those who lived in Jesus' time. And, and when Jesus came to them, uh, Jesus brought good news of great joy. 
because he brought news of a new life. See, Jesus didn't just give a, a philosophy of how to live a new life. He didn't bring just a, a model or, or example to follow about new life. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he has conquered the curse of sin and death forever. And he believes, and he says that anyone who confesses their sin, who believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead and is willing to follow him by faith, Jesus gives him promises him a new life, an eternal life. That's the good news. That's the good news of Christmas. That's a new life in Christ. That's a, the new life that we are all invited to receive, the new life that we are all invited to, to live out or called to live out. In this passage, we're going to see three important elements of this new life in Christ that God is giving to us. So the first is a new calling. In verse 13, it says, He, Jesus, went again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And as he passed by, he saw the son of Levi, the, saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose, Matthew, uh, Levi rose and followed him. Now, Capernaum, this is where Jesus was in Capernaum, and Capernaum actually was a, a customs post for a lot of, it was on a main route going from Damascus to, uh, to the rest of the Mediterranean Sea. And Levi, uh, also known as Matthew, uh, he was a Jewish tax official. He was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were those of Jewish descent, and they basically worked for the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire knew that tax collecting was very uh, unpopular, and very difficult. So instead of doing it themselves, they would hire out you know, other people who were willing to do this dirty work for them. And they said, you know, if you do this for us, we'll reward you handsomely. But no Jewish person would really want to take it because they would say, mm, you know, basically I'm working for, I'm a traitor. I'm working for the enemy. I'm working for the people who oppress us and I'm collecting money that is helping that empire to grow. So no Jewish people really wanted to take that position except those who maybe were extremely greedy. And so anyone who, any Jewish person who actually took that role or, or took that position, you knew why they took it, because they wanted money. They didn't care about their people. They didn't care about their reputation. They just wanted money. And also, because they were backed by the Roman Empire, they could do whatever they want. They could collect more money if they wanted to. The Roman people just said, as long as we get our share, you can collect whatever you want. And so they would collect lots, a lot more money. It was almost like extortion. And you know, if you tried to argue against them or you tried to do something, they would say, hey, but I'm backed by real power. And so people really hated uh, tax collectors. So if there was a tier system of saying, you know, who was closest to God and who was farthest away from God, Levi would be like, not just here, he, Levi would be like way on the bottom. He'd be like, you're not even on the scale. Uh, you're not even in the tier system in terms of being close to God. Because we, you know exactly what you were doing when you took that position. It's not like, oh, I didn't know. It was that you knew. And so now, since you've chosen to be a traitor, got to live with it. You gotta live with it. And they, they say to him, you know, right now you may be living in your luxury houses, partying with all your traitorous friends, but you know, wait till God gets a hold of you. You're gonna get it. That's how they felt about Levi. And in this context, that's where we read verse 14, and we see God literally does get a hold of Levi's life. But something remarkable happens. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, 
And he said to him, follow me. And Levi arose and followed him. You know, one of the most um, traumatic childhood experiences in my life is uh, when you line up against the fence and team captains pick their teams. You know, I could still, when I think about this, it still brings horror in my mind. <clears throat> but basically, it's like your entire self-worth and identity is determined before all your peers and all the schools based on, you know, the order you get picked, right? So, you know, all the, the best people get picked first. And they're like, yeah, pick me. And they pick them. They go, yeah. And they start cheering. They hug each other. And they're like, yeah, all right. You know, and they slowly say, pick that guy. He's really good. And so they pick him. Yeah. And then finally it gets kind of down to the bottom. And you're just sitting there praying. And they're like, please, not last, not last, you know. And then the last one, you know, is there. And then they go, oh, okay, you're with our team. Come on. You know, you're great. You know, you're good. But they can welcome you. They can say, you know, you're part of the team. But you know, you know where you stand in comparison to the others. I mean, basically, you were picked last. So you think about Jesus. He's only going to pick 12 guys. So he picks Peter. They go, yeah, Peter, and he's good. All right. Uh, James, and, James and John, yeah, sons of thunder. They're, they're good for us. Simon, yeah, he's a zealot. It's great. Uh, Levi, no, don't, geez, don't pick Levi. No, don't pick him. Levi's no good. He's not very spiritual. He's not very reputable. He's going to hurt your reputation. Don't pick Levi. What can he do for the, but he don't even want to be on your team anyways. All he wants is money. But Jesus says, Levi, follow me. And Levi immediately rose and followed Jesus. In fact, if you look at the wording, it's the same when he called Peter, the same when he called James and John, and Levi's response is exactly the same as their response. He left everything and followed Jesus. What, what Mark is doing here is he's emphasizing this idea that Jesus really makes no distinction between Levi and the other disciples. Levi was not a consolation pick like, oh, okay, Levi, I need, I need a, a really bad sinner as part of our team just to show that we're nice people. You know? No, he says, no, I'm going to take you. I'm calling you just like I'm calling everyone else. And in Jesus, we see that God's calling is open to everyone. I mean, Levi would have thought, I'm the last person that would be picked. Uh, you know, I'm the last person that deserves Jesus' attention. Not just, I'm the last person that deserves anyone's attention. And yet Jesus is saying, no one's disqualified. No one's outside this offer. The call of a tax collector is going to be the same as the call of a fisherman or the call of a zealot. It's not going to be about whether you're qualified. It's going to be about whether you're willing to heed the calling of the Messiah on your life, whether you're willing to follow him. And if you do, if you do, then God is willing to call you one of his own to give you a new life, not just a future in this life, but a future for all eternity. God says you're not going to just have a purpose in this life, but you're going to have a high calling from none other than God to accomplish something greater, to be a part of an endeavor that spans the history of the world to eternity. That's the calling that God was giving to, to Levi. That's the calling that God gives, that Jesus gives, to each one of us here. No matter who we are, no matter what we have done, no matter where we have set foot in church ever in our lives or, or what people think of us or whatever, Jesus says that if you're here today, if you've never believed, never received Jesus as Savior, God is calling you right now that if we confess our sin, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. 
and rose from the dead, if we're willing to receive Jesus Christ by faith and follow him, God promises that he will give salvation. He will give a new life to you, even today. Jesus' call is open to everyone. We also know that in Jesus, we see that God's calling can affect anyone. You know, if you're here today and maybe you've been praying for someone to receive Jesus as Savior, this, is, this story of Levi is super encouraging to all of us. I mean, I would think like the disciples walking with Jesus, they would have never, never thought even once about sharing the gospel with Levi or asking him to follow and join them. I mean, maybe they would reach out to the people standing in line. They say, all these poor people standing in line to pay their taxes and, and, and they're very suffering. We'll share the gospel with them. We'll, we'll ask them to join us to follow Jesus, but not the guy collecting the taxes. I mean, that's a waste of time. Why would someone like him even be open to receiving Jesus as Savior? I mean, the guy's rich. He got everything he wants. He's not... He's not religious at all. He probably never set foot in a church. And in fact, he probably never did set foot in a church because tax collectors were banned from the synagogues. But when Jesus called, boom, Levi just steps up and follows. Levi's just like waiting for someone to say, I value you. I love you. I want you to be part of something important. I want to forgive you. I want to release all of this burden on your life. Levi was waiting for someone to come and to call him. And all the disciples would say, well, yeah, he's, he's not someone that we could, we could lead to. I mean, we live in Silicon Valley, and we say the same thing. We say, oh, my friend will never accept Christ. They got everything they want. They don't feel any need. They have they, they, they live so rich. They, they, they party all, they, they go on great vacations. They don't have any troubles in their lives and, and they're never gonna receive Christ. They're a, they're a Hindu, they're a Buddhist, they're, they're, uh, they're Muslim. They'll never, they've never set foot in a, in a church before. They'll never receive Jesus as savior. That's what they probably thought about Levi. Uh, that's what we think about our coworkers. They'll never accept Jesus. Uh, we think about a family member who say, well, they never set foot in a church before. How are they ever going to receive Jesus? And Jesus is saying here, saying, no, they can. Keep praying. Keep sharing. Because when God calls, it can affect anyone. Anyone. When Jesus calls at the right time, at the right moment, even people like Levi will step up and follow him. Just keep praying. Just keep sharing about Jesus. When you see that long line of people and you say, I'll share with these people, I should, but that person, eh, I really want them to know Jesus, but I just don't feel like they are. God says, how do you know? It just takes a call. And they will leave everything for Jesus. Because that's the calling of Jesus can affect anyone. Second thing we learn about our new life is, is what we call a new righteousness. Now, when we say, what, what is righteousness? Righteousness basically, I mean, to give it really simple, righteousness means to be right before God, to be right before God. And, you know, everyone, we think about this, everyone wants to be right. Nobody wants to be on the wrong side. You know, when you're, when you're trying to figure out what, what's going on, you want to be on the right side. Um, you want to be accepted, you want to be in the right relationship. But the big question is not about whether we want to be right. It's about we want to be right in whose eyes. That's the big question. 
I mean, for some of us, it's maybe um, our parents. We say, I really wish that I could be right in my parents' eyes. I really wish that my mom would someday really accept me and know that, that I did a good job. I pray that, I, I wish that my father, you know, in my father's eyes, I would be right in his eyes, that he would be proud of me for the things that I have done or the life that I have chosen. I, I, we want to be right in our parents' eyes that, 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 that when we grow up and when we've lived our lives that our parents will look and say, hey, you know, you did a good job. We want to be right in their eyes. Or maybe we want to be right in the eyes of our peers or our friends. And we're always thinking, man, uh, do my friends accept me? We get a new job, do they, do they like me? We go to a new school, do they think I'm funny enough? Do I, you know, when we're talking together, am I, am I uh, you know, the, be able to, to, to laugh with them? I get the in jokes and I, I understand what they're saying and I can even say funny things. Am I trendy enough when they go in and when, when they look at me, do they say, oh yeah, she's hip, she knows what to wear. Oh, he's got those, you know. Uh, am I intelligent enough? Am, is my conversation like, you know, do they, can they tell that I don't know about this or whatever? Uh, do they think I'm cool? Do they think I'm all right? Uh, we always say that the best friend, a really good friend, is someone who will accept you for who you are, right? And, and maybe we're still looking for that friend. We're still looking for that person that says, you know, uh, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, you're right in my eyes. That's a best friend, right? That's who we say is a best friend. I could be whoever I want. I make whatever mistakes, say whatever I want. My best friend, I'm always right in his or her eyes. They will always love me, they will always accept me, they always care for me, that's a best friend. And so we always say, you know, I wanna be right in the eyes of others. Or maybe we wanna be right in the world's eyes. And, and we say, well, I need the approval of the world around me. I need, I need uh, my workplace to, to respect me, my education. I need my neighborhood to, to know that, that I'm a good neighbor. I need even strangers around me to say, boy, he's got a nice car. He knows how to pick cars. She knows, she knows what to do. They have the right friends. They have the right look, the look of success, the look of, hey, I want to be his friend. Hey, I want to know her. And they may even be strangers. We never see them ever in our lives. But when we walk, whatever we do, man, I want to be right in their eyes. Or we may say, I just want to be right in my own eyes. And we may say, well, hell with the world. I don't really care what the world thinks about me. I, don't, I just live the way, life the way I want to live it. I, I just do the things I want to do. I don't care about what people think. Don't care about what people say. I just do what I think is right. And that's all that matters, that I'm doing what's right in my eyes. And that's it. So whether it's our parents, whether it's peers, whether it's uh, uh, strangers, whether it's ourselves, we all try to figure out, you know, righteousness. We're all looking for righteousness. We're all looking for being right in certain people's eyes, whether it's ourselves or anybody else. But the Bible says, yeah, righteousness is important, but there's only one thing that's most important, and that is being right with God. When God looks at me, when God thinks of me, what does he see? What does he think? The ultimate question is what, you know, am I right in God's eyes? Am I right with God? At the end of our lives, all the people that, 
have been in our life, when they come and go, when all the things that we've accumulated in life have come and gone, all the accomplishments are passed away like flowers of the field, you and I, we're going to stand before God. And at that time, we want to be right with God. We want to be right with God. And it's not just about the final day. Because even now, you know, if we're right with God in that final day, then we truly can have peace and contentment. We stop striving. We stop worrying. We have happiness. We have joy in this world. When you're right with God, it don't matter what happened this day. It don't matter what this person said to you or what that person said to you or the regrets that we may have in our lives. Because at the end of the day, we set our heads on the pillow and we say, I'm right with God. And I can go to bed each night and have peace. And I can get up each morning and I have hope because of a righteousness of, with God. And that's, that's what the people in, in Jesus' day, they were seeking the same thing. People are no different. They want to be right. They want to be able to go to bed at night and feel at peace. And, and, and they said, but, you know, but the Pharisees, they were the ones that kind of had a monopoly over deciding what was right with God. And so when Jesus, he went and he, he, he reclined, Jesus reclined at the table of his house, probably Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who were following him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to the disciples, man, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, to recline means to lay back comfortably, like in your comfy chair. It's not this formal kind of obligatory obligatory meal that you have, like, you know, we're doing this because we have to. This is a meal of fellowship. This is a meal of friendship. This is a meal when you get together with your best friends and you just hang out because you love each other, because you just enjoy each other's company. See, that's what was going on here when Jesus was hanging out with, with Levi's uh, fellow tax collectors. And you know, if the tax collectors were despised by the general populace, you can imagine how the, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, how they felt about the, the tax collectors, and to see them dining with Jesus, that just blew their mind. They said, well, you know, that Jesus would accept these people knowing what they do, that these people would have the audacity to hang out with Jesus and, and treat him like a friend. And see, the Pharisees, they were like, they were spiritual descendants of the Hasidim, meaning they distinguished themselves as followers of the law. That, 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 that how could a man follow the law and not be able to distinguish between what is righteous and what is sinful? This Messiah, this Jesus, um, he obviously is not from God. And because their idea of righteousness um, was, the, was about performance. It was about how well you did, how you lived for God, the things that you did, the moral codes, the religious codes of conduct, many of which they wrote themselves. Not, they're not from the Bible. They just wrote it themselves. And, and, and God, through Jesus, brings a new definition, new definition of righteousness, a new definition of what it means to truly be right with God. I mean, Jesus, he, he wasn't like calling... Um, uh, Levi simply because he's looking for like the worst sinner that he could ever find in the world and just get him on his side. No, he was looking at Levi because Jesus, he, he knows people, right? He knows inside Levi there is a heart of obedience, repentance, and humility. That's what, what Levi did when he followed the call of Jesus. He obeyed, he, he turned from his life, and he humbled himself. Levi was a sinner, probably the worst 
one of the worst. But he was a sinner who was desperately looking for new life. And when he found it, he was willing to give up everything, everything, to follow Jesus. I mean, in order to follow Jesus, it says Levi literally physically left his old life. He gave up all the benefits of the graft and the corruption, that, 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 the riches that all of that had given to him, and, and the power of the world. He gave all that up to follow Jesus. That's what makes him right with God. It doesn't mean Levi was perfect doesn't mean Levi, you know, did everything right. I mean, he, along with all the other disciples, when they were following Jesus, they didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. They came to the wrong conclusions a lot. They did the wrong things. Even when all the, when all the disciples ran and, and fled during the time when Jesus was arrested, Matthew was one of them who fled. But what remained true about Levi was that he humbly and contritely took hold of the new life that God had offered him. And he never let it go. He followed Jesus and continued to follow Jesus despite whatever sacrifices he would have to make. And he not just gave up all of his stuff, he would be called to sacrifice greatly as a disciple after Jesus had risen and after Jesus had, had, had ascended. And because of these things, uh, Levi is considered righteous. He didn't have to follow all these rules. He didn't have to build up and make up for all these terrible things that he had done and all the bad choices that he had made. He simply had to humble himself, follow God, and, and, and obey him and honor him. That's righteousness. That's getting right with God. That's, that's what it means. That's what God gives us, first of all, when we receive Jesus as Savior. He makes us right with God. And then to walk in righteousness means that day by day we continue to surrender. We continue to obey God. We continue to humble ourselves before God. And see, the, the, the important question when we talk about Christmas is, 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 is we need to get right with God. You know, what are we trying? Are we still striving to, to fix something? Are we still try, striving to, to please someone? Are we still striving to, to make something of ourselves? Or are we going to just have peace with God through humbling ourselves, through receiving it by grace? God says, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, he will guide your path. He will lead you. And if you, if you need to get right with God, um, it doesn't take much. It takes everything. It's not about fulfilling all these requirements, making up for lost years. It's about surrendering to God. Levi didn't say, well, you know, I'm going to follow you and I'm just going to stuff my pockets with all the, well, you know, as much as I can carry. And maybe I'll bring my toll booth too, just in case we need money later on. I'll just have a portable one. I'll set it up and I can at least make some money, you know, things like that. No, he just said, just left everything. Follow Jesus. Can't. He said, this world, forget it. All these things nothing to me. I just want to follow Jesus. I want to get right with God. That's righteousness. That's righteousness. You know, sometimes we sit here and we say, well, you know, I've been following God all these years, but that's still carrying some stuff with me. I'm still carrying my wealth, put in my pocket as much as I can carry. I'm still carrying my portable worldly stuff that, you know, if I need it, 
I can always turn back to it. If God somehow doesn't come through, I got plan B. Um, or God says, hey, you want to be right with God, you should follow, you surrender, just give up and follow him. He will never forsake you. He will never fail. And, and, and you always have everything that you need and more. And you will be part of, of, of walking and, and being a part of this great kingdom movement. That, that, that's what God is promising. So God, uh, through Jesus, promises a new life, a new calling, and a, a new form of righteousness. And finally, he, he promises a new hope. Uh, wink, wink to all the uh, Star Wars fans here. And um, last two years ago, I'm really sorry because two years ago, I kind of blew a spoiler about the, the movie. So I'm not going to do it this year. Uh, <laughs> But anyways, a new hope. You know, when I speak of hope, when I speak of hope, I'm really thinking about you know, something that you are certain will happen in the future, something that is promised to you by one who never fails. Okay, that's hope. Okay, for us, sometimes we say, I hope I make it up myself. I'm like, ah, oh, I have this great hope that I'm going to someday become a, rich, uh, a great football star. Or I'm gonna, I have such great hope that, that you know, this is going to happen someday, things like that, you know, because I'm a hopeful, enthusiastic, uh, uh, kind of optimistic person. That's not really hope from a Bible standpoint. Bible standpoint is this is something you're certain. You could be the most negative, pessimistic person in the world, and you can still have hope because you have, you're certain of something that will happen in the future. You have something that is promised to you by God who never fails. He never fails. If he promises it, um, that means it's going to happen. So you can be, like, again, the most negative person in the world, but you've got a hope. That's hope. In the time of Jesus, the hope of Israel was the kingdom of God. That's what they wanted. They were looking forward to the kingdom. That's the ultimate future. If you talk about ultimate future, like what you want for the future, it was the kingdom of God. They looked forward to the kingdom of God. When they're going through the toughest times, when they lost everything, they're looking forward to the kingdom of God. When they were taken captive, when their houses were burned, when everything was destroyed, and they came back and they saw what, what, what the Babylonians had did to their houses and stuff, and, 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 and they were humiliated by Rome, they still look forward and says, my hope, though, my hope is the kingdom of God. I'm looking, I look at all this stuff and it don't mean anything because I'm looking and I'm seeing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming and the Messiah is a sign of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is coming and I'm looking forward to it. And you know, the only physical picture, the only physical picture that they had of the kingdom of God was the historical kingdom of Solomon. Now, Solomon was like the greatest king of Israel. Under King Solomon, uh, uh, Israel was like number one. Israel was like the greatest in wealth, the greatest political power, the greatest world influence. People from all of the world were coming to Israel, coming to meet this king Solomon because he, had, he was wiser than all the kings of the earth. And, and, and it was beautiful. The, the, they would come to see the palace that was, that was lined with gold and, and the, the beautiful temple of God. It was literally a palace of gold, a place, a grand temple of worship, a strong people, a people of peace, and God had promised this kingdom, said this kingdom is going to come and it's going to be better than Solomon's. And they're like, whoa, better than Solomon's? I mean, and they can remember, they, my, my mom and dad used to talk about Solomon's kingdom all day, and they would say, how great Solomon is. My granddad, all he does is sit down and talk about the, the, what Solomon was like living under Solomon and how everything was. And so they're like, better than Solomon's kingdom. This is going to be great. We're going to have so much wealth. We're going to have, we're going to have so much power. We're going to have, everything's going to be great. Everything's beautiful. And they were just thinking about this is what, this is what the kingdom of, this is our, our beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's going to be wealthy. It's 
going to be powerful. It's about palaces. It's going to be about gold. It's going to be about righteousness and all these things. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to give you a different picture of the kingdom of God. I'm going to show you what God is saying about what's better than the kingdom of Solomon. And he says, this is it. It's a picture of the Messiah dining with sinners, eating with the outcasts, welcoming them to a feast, celebrating a new life that he has given to all of them. I mean, the Gospels of, of Matthew and Luke, Jesus tells that parable, right? He tells a parable about the kingdom of God, and if you know your, you know, if you're like a Bible scholar, again, we always say if you're a Bible scholar, you know those, the, 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 the parable of the wedding banquet, and, and the, the king says, go out and invite all my friends to come, and, and, and the self-righteous, they refuse to enter, and they say, oh, I gotta do this, gotta wash my hair, I'm gonna get married, all this stuff, I can't make it, and so the king gets all upset, and he's sad, why don't my friends wanna come? He says, but I got all this banquet here for people, what am I gonna do? So he sends the people, I why don't you go and get the rejected and the outcast? Just get some people off the street. Have them come in, celebrate the feast with my son. You know, my, celebrate the wedding feast of my son. And, 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 and Jesus says, that's a picture of the kingdom. That's the parable that he gives of this kingdom of God. And, and here in Mark, Mark doesn't say it. He, Mark is an action guy. He says, this is it. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. This is what heaven is going to be like. And you know, Pharisees and the, the, Sadducees, the Pharisees and scribes are, are condemning him and saying, oh, how, you know, this is terrible. How can God do this? And verse 17, Jesus hears them. And Jesus heard it. He said to them, he says, those uh, who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, Jesus is not saying, oh, you know, you, you Pharisees are righteous, so I don't need to call you. He's saying you Pharisees are self-righteous, so you have no desire to come in. You have no, uh, feel no need to, to, to receive anything from God and to receive anything from the king. But, but, it, but it's the sinners, those who recognize not just the, 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 their, their, their external poverty, but their internal, their, 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 their spiritual poverty, their need for God, that they're like Levi saying, man, if anybody gave me a chance, I would just grab it just like that. I'd leave everything just to, to get a piece, just to grab a piece of, of what Jesus is about. What is the ultimate goal? The best picture of our future. What is it that gets you and I through these difficult times and struggles and hardships? What's the best thing that could happen to us in life? Is it to make as much money as possible? Well, I'm thinking of making as much money as possible, then I die. Or is it doing a lot of good things in life. I'm going to make sure that I do a lot of good things in life, like change the world, and then I'll die. Is it, I'm going to live a good life, do the best I can, love people, make my life have some meaning in this life, and then die? Or is it, I'm going to have a lot of fun, live a rich, fulfilled life, do all the things I dreamed of, and then I die? Notice common thread. <laughs> and then I die. We're all going to die. That's just a part of life. So no matter how much we have, no matter what we do, um, the ultimate, ultimate picture of our hope and future has got to take into consideration this, this truth. We're all going to die. 
And so for the Israelites, their picture of what happens after they die, what's going to happen is this powerful kingdom, this legacy of wealth, fame, and power. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that picture, rip it apart, and I'm going to give you another picture of the kingdom of God, another hope of what you want to see in your life. And that is picture, the picture of people dining with the king, celebrating in, 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 in the wedding of his son, uh, just hanging out because Jesus loves us so much. Not worrying about what the world thinks of us, not worrying about our past, not worrying about what other people will say or what, Jesus, what God may think because we already know God loves us and we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's why I'm here with Jesus and, and we're just gonna enjoy eternity together and celebrate with him in the wedding of his son. So we ask the question, then what does that mean for us? In Luke chapter 14, verse 16, this was the parable that Jesus said. He said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. And at the time for the banquet, he sent out his servant to say to those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant says, sir, we will we'll do as you commanded. And what has been commanded is done. And still there is more room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And we look at this, and I just was I reading this, and, and I just thinking about this phrase. The servant said, there's still room. There's still room. There's still room in the kingdom of God right now. And there's so many people that are still giving excuses outside, saying, but I got to do this, but I got to do that, but I've been raised a good Muslim, and I can't do this, but, you know, but my family, we're, we're Buddhists, we, we always do this, but, you know, we're Hindu, we're all the same thing, and, or, or, you know, I got so many things to take care of. I, I believe in God, I love God, and, you know, and, and I go to church once a year, things like that. I'll go to church, I remember that. And, and, and God is saying, there's still room for them. And he's still calling his servants. We are his servants. And the servants look around and say, there's still seeds left. There's still empty seeds before Jesus comes. Let's fill every single one of them. Let's fill all these seats so that when Jesus comes, that as many people, as many people, whether they're tax collectors or whoever they are, that they may fill these seats, that, that God's house may be full when Jesus comes again. That, that, that's, that's, what, that's what I believe Mark is saying here in this passage as we think about this. There's still room. There's still room for Levi. If there's still room for Levi, there's room for every single person in your life right now. There's room for you right now. Again, no matter what you have done. Because God wants more than anything else for his house to be filled, to be filled. To enjoy the blessings of God. That's the kingdom of God. Being with Jesus, being with God, dining with him, celebrating with him. That's what he is calling every single one of us to do and to be. To be those servants, to reach out and to invite those people to come. And when God calls, 
Anyone, anyone can receive Jesus. Let's go ahead. Let's, let's, let's bow in prayer. Let, let's just spend some time of quietness before the Lord as we think about Christmas. We think about the fact that God came on this earth and he, Jesus came and he died on the cross not just for the righteous, not just for a few, for everybody.